following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shore, for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. This morning we're carrying on our series in the book of Romans. We're working through Romans 12 to 14. And we're talking about how we can journey well as a community during these really challenging times that we're in. Uh, This morning, we come to this passage in Romans 13 that maybe is more challenging than many passages uh, around how we relate to governing authorities. Uh, It's the kind of passage that's received a lot of attention among Christians over the past few years, uh, and for good reason, because it relates very strongly to the times that we're living in. Maybe in, in ordinary circumstances, we might not think too much of a passage like this that talks about submitting to government authorities, but then we hit COVID, And all of a sudden, governments around the world, including in New Zealand, are introducing all sorts of public health measures and putting in place laws. Uh, We've had lockdowns, we've had border closures, we've had vaccine mandates, we've got the COVID protection framework in place at the moment. And these laws affect our lives, no question. I mean, this is very socially disruptive stuff for us. It affects the way that churches are able to run. And so it's right that Christians ask questions about this. Uh, This passage raises questions for us. The current conditions we're in raise questions for us around how we as Christians should relate in a healthy way to the governing authorities. Uh, What does a biblical relationship between the church and the state look like? Are there conditions under which it's okay for Christians to disobey the government? And what sorts of circumstances are those? These are the kinds of questions that arise out of this passage, and they are very relevant to the times we're living in. So I want to look at what Paul says in Romans 13 and apply it into our situation today. The foundation of Paul's argument here, the the major premise that he gives us is this. We find it in verse 1. He says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And then down in verse 4, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. So his basic premise is this. God has ordained human government for our good. God has ordained human government for our good. Now, I know that might be a jarring statement if you don't like the government of the day, but Paul's quite clear about it here. That It doesn't mean that God has handpicked every prime minister, every head of state, every president. I think God's providence is broader than that. But it does mean that God has established the principle of human government in the world. God has instituted human government. It's not just a human-made idea. This is God's idea, and it is for our good. Like Paul explicitly says that government is given to us for our good. Uh, we, we might have the idea, maybe as Christians, that somehow life would be better if we just didn't have government. If we could just do away with government, we'd be better off without it. The reality is, without any government of any kind, uh, that is not a picture of some blissful paradise. That's a picture of anarchy. That's a picture of complete social breakdown. That's a picture of chaos. None of us would be better off in that situation. So Paul is saying that the very idea of government is a good thing. Government is God-ordained, 
and, and governments exercise their authority under God's authority. God is the ultimate authority. Governments, in a sense, act as a servant. Paul even describes them as a servant acting on God's behalf. So at least at the broadest level, we can be thankful to God for the gift of human government because government has a God-ordained role in ordering society, creating a just society, creating a civil society that protects its citizens and enables life to function. So the ordering of society is a good thing, and that is the God-given role that governments have. Now, it's upon that basic premise, then, that Paul gives us the primary instruction in this passage. And again, it's found right up front in verse 1. He says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Now, that word subject... It means, the Greek word means to submit. It's the word hupotasso. Uh, and it basically means to recognize an authority relationship. Recognize that there is a relationship of hierarchy and act accordingly. It's the same word uh, also used in the New Testament for the relationship between slaves and masters. Slaves called to submit to their masters. To recognize there is an authority in place, there is a hierarchy in place, and to act accordingly. Now, it is interesting that there's another word Paul doesn't use. Uh, there's a different Greek word, which means to obey. And Paul doesn't use that word. He uses the word submit, but not obey. At other times, in some of his other letters, Paul uses the word obey. He talks about children obeying parents. He talks about slaves obeying masters. But interestingly, he doesn't do that here. He uses the word submit. So, it's reasonable to ask the question, why? Uh, why does Paul say submit to the governing authorities, not obey the governing authorities? Those two words in Greek, submit and obey, they are distinct, but they have overlapping meaning. There is a strong convergence of meaning between the two words, but they are still distinct. To submit means to recognize that authority relationship. To obey means to carry out a direct command, to, to carry out an order so to speak. And it is possible to submit to someone without obeying them. And it is possible to obey someone without submitting to them. So what does Paul mean then here by calling us to submit to governing authorities? I think this is summed up really well by C.E.B. Cranfield, noted biblical scholar. And he says this in his commentary on Romans. Submission to the state means respecting them, obeying them, so far as such obedience does not conflict with God's laws, and seriously and responsibly disobeying them when it does. So what he's saying is to submit to the governing authorities as a Christian means to recognize their God-given authority, and ordinarily that means obedience, except when obeying the government would mean disobeying God. Let me say that again. Submitting to the government means recognizing their God-given authority, which ordinarily requires our obedience to the government, unless there's a situation in which obeying the government would mean disobeying God. And if we find ourselves in such a situation as Christians, it is our duty as Christians to disobey the government in order to obey God if we are faced with that stark and clear choice. We would, in those situations, still submit to the government 
in the sense of recognising their authority. We would even submit to the fact that we would be punished by the state for disobeying the law. But our obedience to God ultimately trumps our obedience to the state. Because if we obeyed the state instead of God, we would be defying our greatest act of submission, which is to our heavenly Father. And so Paul is saying we're called to submit to the state, submit to the government ordinarily. That will mean obedience in most situations that will require obedience unless there is a direct conflict and obeying the government would mean disobeying God. Now, Paul would have been well aware of the fact, because he knew his Bible, that there are examples, numerous examples in Scripture of God's people disobeying the government. Rightly so, who chose to disobey the government because there was that conflict between obedience to the state and obedience to God. So Paul would have known the stories of the Hebrew midwives in Exodus who refused to follow Pharaoh's instruction to kill all of the baby boys out of obedience to God. He would have known the story of Daniel who refused to pray, uh, sorry, who did pray and defied the king's edict to only pray to gods who were the king. So Daniel continued to pray. Uh, Paul would have known the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refused to bow down to the, the image that Nebuchadnezzar had made. Paul would have known personally the apostle Peter. And so he was familiar with the story of Peter and John defying the uh, governing authorities' commandment not to preach the gospel. So you have these clear instances in Scripture where God's people do take a stand and they do choose not to obey the government out of submission and obedience to God. And so I think Paul's argument allows for that. That is implied and allowed in the logic of what Paul is saying. He's calling us to submit to the governing authorities, but he is leaving open the possibility that where there is a direct conflict between obedience to God and obedience to the state, we will always choose obedience to God. And history bears this out. Uh, there are plenty of historical examples of times when Christians have rightly chosen to disobey particular governing authorities out of their allegiance and obedience to God. So you could fast forward to the third century. In the third century, there was an edict made across the Roman Empire that all people must sacrifice, make sacrifices to the Roman gods. This was from the emperor down. Every household must make sacrifices to the Roman gods. And many Christians refused to obey. Many Christians defied that order, that law, and they did so out of obedience to God. And they paid a heavy price for it. I mean, these were the, these were the times when Christians were thrown to the lions. They were thrown into the arena. They, they, many Christians died in horrific and brutal ways because they chose obedience to God over obedience to the state. You could fast forward to the 20th century and you have the regime of Nazi Germany. You have people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer who refused to take the unconditional oath of allegiance to the Führer, to Hitler. Refused because it would have pledged unconditional, uh, absolute allegiance to Hitler. And many Christians were unwilling to do that. And again, many people paid a heavy price for that. So you have these examples, biblically and historically, where Christians are willing to submit to the state in terms of recognizing the authority of the state, and yet they face that direct conflict between obeying God and obeying the state, and they choose obedience to God. Now, the pressing question then that comes out of this passage to us is, are we in 
one of those circumstances today. In other words, when you consider the current government uh, regulations that are in place in New Zealand, when you think about vaccine mandates, when you think about the traffic light system and restrictions on gatherings and things like this, are we in a situation today where Christians are called to exercise civil disobedience? And that is disobey the government in order to obey God. And my answer is no. And I want to give you three reasons why I answer that question by saying no. The first reason is because we do not face the same kind of situation today that people in Scripture faced when they chose to obey God instead of the government. We do not face that same stark decision between obedience to government or obedience to God. And you could just list the biblical examples of civil disobedience and think about what the reasons were for Christians and God's people in the Old Testament taking that sort of stand and compare it to today. The government today is not telling us to commit murder. The government today is not telling us we must commit some act of idolatry. The government today is not telling us that we cannot pray. The government today is not telling us that we cannot proclaim the gospel. None of these situations are, are happening in front of us today. The, in, in the present moment, the government is not even saying to us that as Christians, we can't meet together. Yes, our gatherings must adhere to certain restrictions, but we're still able to meet. And so we're not in this situation where we are facing the circumstances where to obey the government and to observe these guidelines would automatically and necessarily require us disobeying God and sinning against him. It is simply, that is, that is not the choice that is in front of us. I believe it's possible for us to practice our Christian faith and to observe our Christian faith publicly in the present environment and still obey and submit to the governing authorities that are in place. Now, that, that doesn't mean, let me say up front, that doesn't mean that we're all going to agree with vaccine mandates. Not at all. It doesn't mean you necessarily agree with the law, but that's a very different issue from civil disobedience. I'll come to that in a moment. So that's the first reason. We don't face the same situation that people in biblical times faced when they made that choice. Second reason is Christians today are not being targeted or persecuted. I think it would be a different scenario if the church was being singled out and if Christians were the only group in society that were being imposed upon and slapped with a whole lot of uh, restrictions and regulations. But we're simply not in that situation. As I read the guidelines of the COVID protection framework, there is, there is no difference being applied, whether you are a church gathering, whether it's, it's the Buddhists, whether it's the Muslims, whether it's the Baha'i faith, whether it's a group of atheists, agnostics, whoever. It is gatherings and it is events and it is universally applied. We're not in a situation where Christians are being singled out and targeted. And so we need to take that into account. And the third reason, I think we have to at least consider the reasons that these measures are in place. And here, I found it helpful to draw on the writing of a guy named Richard Baxter. Now, Baxter was a Puritan preacher uh, in the 17th century. And among his works, he wrote this volume in which he dealt with a whole lot of questions around Christian conscience and Christian ethics. 
and what Christians should do, decisions Christians should make in different sorts of ethical circumstances. And interestingly, one of the questions that he addressed, and this is, again, the 17th century, is very, very similar to the sort of question that Christians face today, that churches face today. The question he addresses is this. May we omit church assemblies on the Lord's Day if the magistrate forbid them? And here is his answer. If the magistrate, for a greater good, as in the common safety, forbid church assemblies in a time of pestilence, assault of enemies, or fire, or the like necessity, it is a duty to obey him. Later on, he says, if princes profanely forbid holy assemblies and public worship, either statedly or as a renunciation of Christ and our religion, it is not lawful formally to obey them. So what Baxter is introducing here is a distinction in the reasons that laws are given. And I think that needs to be taken into account. He's saying that if we are disallowed from meeting uh, as a church for reasons that support the common good, and interestingly, he even mentions pestilence in that list, uh, then he says it's our duty to obey. But if we're prevented from, from meeting out of a government desire to stamp out Christianity, renounce our religion, renounce Christ, that's a different set of circumstances. Th those are different reasons. And in those circumstances, it would be our lawful duty not to obey, lawful before God, that is. And so I know we get into a little bit of subjective territory here because we are starting to talk about the reasons and motives behind which laws were given. But I think this at least needs to factor into our decision-making and thinking around this. And I would say that at least ostensibly, the measures that are in place are public health measures. Uh, they're not measures that are being put in place to renounce Christ or to shut down the church or to stamp out Christianity. We are in the middle of a global pandemic. We may not all agree with the rules and the mandates and so on, but they are given as public health measures. And we need to take that into consideration as Christians. And therefore, we should be very circumspect about engaging in civil disobedience in these kinds of circumstances. To those three reasons, let me just add a, a further thought related to Paul's context in Romans 13. Remember, Paul is writing here in Rome, in the heart of the Roman Empire, under what was arguably one of the most oppressive and brutal and tyrannical governments, empires that has ever existed. I mean, the Roman Empire was horrendous in the way that it treated uh, many people who weren't Roman citizens, especially Christians at times. And if there was ever a time in Scripture that you would expect the biblical writers to call the church to stand up against government oppression, against government tyranny, it would be right here in Romans 13. Of all the times in history that you would expect that, that to come from Scripture, it would be here. And yet Paul doesn't say that. Instead, he calls us to submit. And even when you get to the book of Revelation and the Roman Empire is described as a beast, even then, John's encouragement to us is faithful endurance, faithful perseverance. It is submission. And if Paul and John and others can call us to submission to government authorities in the midst of those sorts of circumstances and those sorts of brutal and oppressive regimes, how much more so as Christians do we need to take seriously that calling to submit, humbly submit, to governing authorities today. So, for those three reasons, I don't believe there is a strong biblical case in the present moment 
for Christians to engage in civil disobedience against the government. Uh, and that's why, as a church, our elders have decided that, that we are not going to take Shaw down the path of civil disobedience, but we will do all that we can to work within the COVID-19 protection framework. Now, let me just say again, I feel like I'm continually saying it, but this does not mean that we all agree with vaccine mandates. This does not at all mean that we necessarily agree with every piece of government legislation. Not at all. It doesn't mean that we support and agree with every decision that the government makes and everything that the government does. Not at all. Not for a minute. But we need to remember that disagreeing with a law, even disagreeing strongly, still doesn't give us biblical grounds for disobeying that law. Disagreeing with the rules, even strongly and personally, doesn't give us biblical grounds to disobey that rule. Civil disobedience is a different question from whether or not we agree with or like or support government policy. To make a case for civil disobedience, you would have to be convinced that there is a direct conflict between obedience to the government and obedience to God. And I simply don't believe that we're in that position today. Now, that's not to say we won't one day get there Please hear me on this. Just because now might not be the moment for civil disobedience, I fully believe the day may come when as Christians and as a church, we may need to, to take a stand against government where there is a direct choice to be made. That day might come. In fact, I, I think scripture suggests that before Jesus returns, it's very likely maybe even Christians in the West may face that decision and we may be called to choose between obeying government and obeying God. But I think the more that we jump on the civil disobedience bandwagon now, the more that we go down that path now, the less of a voice we're going to have on that day when it's really called for and when we really need to take a stand, the less we will be heard on that day, the less credible our voice may be on that day. And so my encouragement would be to hold back on any acts of civil disobedience in the present because the day may come when we genuinely and biblically face that choice. Now, let me briefly try and just touch on a couple of other issues or questions that are related to this, related to Romans 13, although they don't, they're not addressed directly by the text. But I want to touch on them because they come out of questions that I've received or interactions that I've had with, with different people. One question is around the relationship between the church and the state. And sometimes there is an argument among Christians that we should defy the government, disobey the government, because the government does not have any authority over the church. The government exists in this sphere here, and the church exists in this sphere here. The church is accountable only to Christ. The government is accountable only to the people. And therefore, the government's got no authority to mess with the church. The church has got no authority to influence the government. They must be totally separate. Now, I would humbly suggest that that understanding of church and state is based on a faulty theology. And to demonstrate that, I would appeal to something as practical as a smoke alarm, if you can bear with me on this. Think about a smoke alarm. Think about, I'm sitting here at the hub right now. Think about the smoke alarms that we've got in this building. Why do we have smoke alarms? Well, you could say for, for health and safety reasons, yes, absolutely. Uh, and ultimately the answer is because the government's told us we have to, because there is regulation 
around these things that comes from the government that requires us to have smoke alarms in the building. Uh, why do our staff have employment contracts? Because there is an employment act in New Zealand that the church is bound by and that we operate under. Uh, every year we report to the Charities Commission in a range of different areas. We are required by law to produce reports for the Charities Commission in order to maintain our charitable status and our tax-exempt status. Uh, why do we do that? Because the government requires it of us as a charitable trust. These are the realities of being the church in the present age. Yes, of course, the church is accountable only to Christ. Yes, of course, Jesus is the Lord of the church. But the church still exists in the world, at least in the present age. The church still exists within nation states like New Zealand, and that means the church exists within a government authority structure. And we accept that the government will have regulation and laws that affect the practice of churches as organisations, and we understand that is simply part of being a church in the present age. And so I think it's too simplistic to simply relegate state and church into mutually exclusive spheres that have nothing to do with each other. In the present age, the relationship is, well, it's more engaged than that. And the government does have areas where it has influence over the state simply by virtue of its civil and governing authority and role in the world. And to be honest, if, if I could humbly suggest that I think there is a branch of the church that in recent decades has gotten itself into trouble around its handling of abuse allegations because it has not recognised this and because it has tried to distance itself so much from the state and refused to allow the state in and sought to deal with all of these allegations internally and in a very insular way and it has gotten itself into a world of trouble. When the church tries to be a complete vacuum and isolated entity without appropriate engagement and submission to the state, it can do a world of harm and cause a world of pain. So we need to pursue a biblical understanding of church and state. And finally, uh, let me then just touch really briefly on this issue of freedom. Uh, it's a real catch cry today, isn't it? People talk about freedom. There's a lot of talk about freedom and uh, a sense of wanting to protect and preserve our freedoms as people. And Christians talk about this a lot. Uh, and there is a logic that would say, well, we need as Christians to defy and resist the government mandates because we are wanting to uphold our freedoms. And after all, isn't freedom a biblical thing? Well, the answer is yes, it is a biblical thing, absolutely. Like we, as Christians, we of all people should be all about freedom. We are free in Christ. We are free indeed. Thank God Almighty. But we need to have a biblical understanding of freedom. And this is just so important. We need to understand that freedom in Scripture in the first instance, is freedom from the works of the law for salvation. Like We're free from having to try and stand before God on our own merits, and we can be freely forgiven, and we can be freely reconciled to the Father. That's Christian freedom. And then out of that, our freedom in Christ is now a freedom to serve. And Paul says it directly in Galatians 5, verse 13, a book that talks more about freedom than many others. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. 
And so there it is. Paul says you're called to be free, live in freedom. But think about the way that you use your freedom. Christian freedom is not this idea of standing up for my individual rights. Christian freedom is not a freedom just to stand on my own sense of entitlement. Christian freedom says it's a freedom to serve. I am free in Christ to lay down my life for my brother and sister. I am free in Christ to sacrifice for my brother, my sister. I'm free in Christ to be self-giving, not self-serving. And to be honest with you, some of the rhetoric that I hear around freedom today sounds to me more like a secular Western concept of freedom that is very individualistic and very much about my personal rights and freedoms and not a particularly Christian and biblically formed view of freedom, which is about not standing on my rights, but laying my rights down for the sake of the other. That's true Christian freedom. So yes, let's talk about freedom as Christians, but let's make sure it is a biblically grounded view of freedom that we're talking about. Well, we've covered some difficult terrain today and we've covered a really thorny passage. I want to encourage you uh, to go back to scripture yourself. I always want to encourage you to do this as my church family, to, to, to search the scriptures for yourselves. Uh, look at this passage more deeply in Romans 13. We haven't been able to cover every part of it this morning. Look at the parallel passage in 1 Peter 2, also about submitting to governing authorities. But I pray that in these times, uh, we can learn as a congregation, and as individuals to relate to the governing authorities around us in healthy and biblical and God-honoring ways. That means at times we are perfectly able to engage with government, to speak up, uh, to speak out, to challenge, and yes, to peacefully protest, absolutely. Even to take legal steps, all of these things within the system and in lawful and peaceful ways are perfectly appropriate. But let's practice biblical submission towards the government and carefully and wisely discern what that looks like in our day and in our age. And I pray that as a church, we might respond to and relate to the governing authorities in a way that is a positive and gracious witness to a watching world. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, your word tells us to pray for our leaders, pray for those in authority. And so we want to do that right now, Lord, whatever we may think of them, whatever, wherever we are in the political spectrum, we just come together as a church family. Now we lift up our leaders to you. We lift up our prime minister. We lift up our government. We lift up our parliament to you. We lift up our cabinet to you. We lift up local leaders around New Zealand. And we pray, Lord God, that you would pour out your spirit upon them that you would give them your wisdom and that you would direct their hearts and help us as your people and as your church to live wisely, to live faithfully and to live humbly and in submission to the authorities that you have placed over us. Help us to do all these things, God, with you in our hearts and for your glory alone and not ours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz 
or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.